0: I mean there's a lot of bottles in this room jason
1: yeah it's 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 a, it's a problem it's not it's so a, much a space problem as it is a
0: buying problem it is <laughs> so you're kind of
1: addicted to the sport uh I, you know honestly i have really toned down my buying in okay. the last year or so when i first started i would buy everything i couldn't stop because yeah. it was you know you start getting into something and you just go full bore your heads down you're not looking at anything else except i just have to acquire as many bottles as i can because i want to try it all and then it becomes a collection thing you want to own and a lot of people are like that in the bourbon the bourbon world right?
0: welcome to another trip down the bourbon road with your host jim and Mike. So grab a glass of your favorite bourbon and kick back. We would like to thank Tommy and Gwen Mitchell from Loghead's Home Center for supporting this episode of The Bourbon Road. Find out more about their fine rustic furniture at logheadshomecenter.com. Hello, I'm Jim Shannon and this is The Bourbon Road and today we are without Mike. (laughs) I can actually split up this week as Mike went out and did an interview on his own, and I did one on my own. Sometimes you gotta you gotta make the most of what you have, and and so Mike went and did an interview with Wes Henderson over at Angel Envy, and uh, and I'm up here in Columbus today with Jason from the Mash and Drum. Jason, do you say your last name or? Yes, yeah, it's, uh, it's Jason Kalori. Jason Kalori. Well, Jason, welcome to the show. It's good to have you today. Oh, thanks for having me on, Jim. So, Jason, you have a YouTube channel. Yes. It's called The Mash and Drum. Correct. And you do whiskey reviews and news and you do live events. You've got quite a, a community of followers that watch your show. And, yeah, I'm very fortunate to have a great community of, uh, of viewers that watch the channel. So I love it. Yeah. So you and I have been friends for a while. We've been been on some barrel picks together. We've Mm -hmm. toured some distilleries together. You spent the night at my house. I'm spending the night at yours. So we know each other pretty good. Absolutely. Uh, I think one of the things that we have in common is I think we both respect each other's palates. Absolutely. But I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time right now talking too much about that stuff. We'll get to that in a minute. I'd like to get straight to the whiskey. Always. And you know the format of the show. So we bring a bottle. We introduce you to it, and mm-hmm. then in the second half, you'll get to introduce us to a bottle. So, today, what I have for you is a Willet six-year bourbon, the coveted Purple Top.
1: The coveted Purple Top.
0: And uh, this is actually, just for those people out there that track Willet barrels, this is barrel number 2136. It's a six-year-old uh, estate, family estate uh, bourbon. Uh, it's at 62.4% or 124.8 proof. Actually, I got this bottle when I visited the Made South event in Franklin, Tennessee. Uh, you're familiar with uh, the Southern Whiskey Society event, absolutely. Yeah, yep. so, some great guys down there. Mm-hmm. They got a great a great event, and uh, so anyway, part of the event was the opportunity uh, for VIP ticket holders to get bottles. And my wife and I went and we both picked up a, a purple top. So that is not a bad deal. Six this, years, six years old, you said? Yeah, six year old. And this was actually a short barrel. This one was uh, named Cornbread. Then another one named, I think, Sweet Pea. Sweet Pea and Cornbread. Sweet Pea and Cornbread. That's, uh, those are enticing names. Just kind of makes you want to <laughs> pop it open. Right. So this, this barrel actually only had 58 bottles in it. So wow, it 50, is a short barrel. It is a short barrel. And so this is bottle 31 of 58. So I feel kind of fortunate. Uh we're down to about a half a bottle now. I'm going to be sad when this one's gone. I don't blame you. But then we have my wife's bottle. Oh. So <laughs> and I think she has sweet peas. So Lucky man.
1: It. Oh, so you have, you, have you, got, you guys had one of each? One of each. Okay.
0: Yeah, the other choices were like um they had a Weller foolproof pick. Okay. And uh I'm trying to think of what else they had. I don't remember right off the bat, but I kind of went for Went for the Willett's. I think they might have had a Will at Rye as well. Yeah, I would,
1: I would probably pick the at bourbon too. You just don't see them very often, yeah. especially where I live here. And even when you go out and when you do see them, they're usually astronomical prices. So
0: to be able to get one, especially from the Southern Whiskey Society, you know, yeah, it's going to be pretty big, good. Big shout out to the boys in uh, in Franklin. I think uh, if anybody's listening to this right now and has even a thought of visiting their, their event down there, it, it, it's a good time. Absolutely. It's a good time. Well, Jason, why don't we get into this bourbon? Let's do it. No doubt it's Willet, right? No doubt it's
1: Willet. So, one of the unique characteristics I always get in Willet is a a kind of a peanut brittle type flavor to it, drizzled with caramel. And this one in particular is very corn and caramel sweet up front on the
0: nose for me. Yeah. So, it's for me, it's definitely got that Willet spicy, that 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 kind of a prickly spicy nose mm-hmm. to it and uh, i don't know if you can prickle the nose but i guess if you could you'll will it right <laughs> um a little bit of uh peach pear i think apple a little bit of apple
1: yeah you said pear now yeah the pear is definitely coming through here a little bit apple like pear uh peel yeah it's very it's it's very it's almost waxy
0: but that, you know, for being such a high proof bottle, uh, it doesn't really, it doesn't really attack the nose too much with the alcohol, does it? It doesn't. The alcohol
1: comes through as more, as you mentioned, as spice
0: right. and flavor mm-hmm. rather
1: than pure heat.
0: These guys definitely do it right. Let's take a sip. Sure. Cheers. Cheers. Wow. Full mm. full flavor, huh? Flavor
1: bomb, as I like to say. This is kind of a salt palate here. It's so good. What I love to do with a with a bourbon or a whiskey is just let it dance in the front of your palate a little bit. And when you could feel you and you could set it, the, the the spiciness and that prickliness of it. You feel it on the tip of your tongue right away. And then the flavors just work its way back, caramel, there's so many layers of flavor in here. Caramel, peanut, definitely some of that apple, that pear in there. Then the
0: finish is just all oak and spice and baking yeah. spices. That's what I was going to say. I think the oak and the oak, the spice and the oak really um, come through on this, but it kind of pauses for a moment on the middle and sides of your tongue mm-hmm. and sort of it just rests there for a minute and says, I'm here. And then presents that that more spicy, oaky finish on the back of the tongue.
1: There's also kind of an uh, of an after there's kind of an after finish. I'm getting a little bit. It's It's kind of sneaky. You think it's done, and then all of a sudden it comes back and you get some more more of that peanut comes back
0: a little bit it's really nice, so you're getting a little bit of that a little uncharacteristic sweetness on the back, yeah, yeah, so me too i that's one of the things I liked about this is it had that uh that a little bit of that syrupy sweetness on the back of the tongue a lot of times sweetness presents itself mostly up front because that's where your sensors are for sweetness, but you get that that sense of sweetness on the back and I don't know if you can actually taste sweetness on the back of your tongue or not, but it presents itself that way.
1: It comes back to me in some of the the newer bourbons, the, especially some of the great bourbons I had this past year uh, in 2019. Kentucky owl Batch 9 did that for me. The Four Roses Limited Edition did that where I thought the finish was over. And then all of a sudden you got this another little burst of sweetness out of nowhere. Bourbons like that are incredible
0: because it presents such a unique experience. Now, I, I think, you know, in a, in a general sense, you know, maybe the Willet flavor profile is not for everybody because it is a bit spicy. It does have that, uh, you know, that, that spicy, prickly nature to it. Um, but for those people that like those kind of bourbons, it's pretty amazing. They, they do it in spades, don't they? You could see why they're so sought
1: after, especially if you like that willow profile. I just got a really beautiful cherry, like spicy cherry note on the palate. The more you sip it, the sweeter it's getting now. The spice still lingers on, but I love this cherry flavor on it. Mm. It's like maybe like cherry and maple syrup a little bit. It's just evolving. So good. And I think that's. Probably one of the reasons why people love Willet because especially at some of these single barrels, you're just they're so unique, so spicy. They're really
0: doing an incredible job there. And it's hard to get it. I mean that too. Yeah. I mean, you have a really hard time finding these, but a lot of these come become available as picks, uh, through group picks, clubs, restaurants, bars, those kind of things. But you no, know, Willet mm-hmm. just recently opened their uh their restaurant on the second floor of the um, the gift shop there. Have you been down? I've not been down. I've been in the gift shop, though, many
1: times
0: (laughs) trying to score a a good bottle, but I haven't been to the restaurant yet. Yeah. So now when you're in the gift shop, there's a, a spiral staircase or whatever. It's a staircase that leads to the second floor and they got a big fireplace going in there and they got a bar and it's absolutely loaded with. Everything you can imagine uh, a little on the pricey side, but you know what? It's, it's an experience and it's worth trying. Well, that's what it's for. I mean, some people don't, they walk in there and they can't get their hands on this. You have a
1: place you can go and actually sit down, taste it, experience it, figure out that flavor profile. Do you like that
0: spice? Do you not? I mean, what's your opinion on, you know, pores versus bottles? So, you know, some of these bottles are very expensive. Now, I know this one here is probably going for. 250 to 300 on the secondary. That's my guess. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I got this as part of an event, but you know, somebody that doesn't want to spend that kind of money can't actually get the bottle at the store and doesn't want to spend that kind of money. Um, what do you think about paying $40 for a shot?
1: Uh, for me, I think it's based on availability. Yeah. So if there's going to be a bourbon that I know I can't get, this happened to me last year with the Old Forester birthday bourbon. No yeah. matter what I tried to do, I just could not get my hands on a bottle. So whenever I saw it at a bar to try to experience it, I would just pay for it. I was lucky enough to try some of the OFC, which is that special release that's an extremely expensive, very rare rare bottle. Stuff like that, I think it's worth it to pay for a pour, especially if it's going to be something whether you don't want to spend the money on trying to acquire one yourself. Obviously, as you know, it's, it's hard to acquire some of these sought after bottles with the market the way it is today. So I think when you try to get these bottles and you realize, oh, I don't think I'm ever going to get a chance to get it. <laughs> Why not go and get a pour somewhere? And I think for Willett to do it, because their stuff is so rare, especially being, uh, you know the Purple Top Bourbons, that, that's a great way to get their flavor profile out there. You know, you can't get in a store. Come to the restaurant, try it. Sit right. down. You know, be able to experience these bourbons. You know, obviously they're a little going to be a little bit pricey, but you know, when in
0: Rome. That's right. (laughs) I mean, if you go, if you travel to Bardstown and you find your way to the Willett distillery, you go Mm -hmm. to the gift shop and you're hoping they'll have a bottle. And and a lot of times they do. Yeah. Yeah. But you strike out. There's always that consolation prize on the second floor. That's right. Just (laughs) make your way upstairs. Like, I'll just pay for a pour. Twist my arm. (laughs) Well, Jason, we'll keep sipping on this, but I kind of want to turn to you for a moment because you're kind of the focus of our show here. And I I'm kind of interested to hear your story, you know, a little bit about maybe your early days. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, where you grew up, what it was like where you grew up and when you maybe got into your first bourbon? So, yeah, I'm a Long Island boy. Yeah. I grew up in Freeport, Long Island, Uh,
1: moved out to more Half Hollow Hills, Huntington Station, Long Island. Uh, After that, my uh, my mother wanted to get me into a better school system. So we moved out to the eastern end of Long Island. Was a little bit better. Um, after that, was you know, went to high school there and decided I wanted to stay in New York for college. Went to St. John's University. I uh, got my um, my degree in marketing and graphic design while I was there, which became a big part. It was a, a great tool for my channel, which we'll sure. get into later. But love doing that. Uh, yeah. Then as my career went on. Uh, really, in college is when I was first introduced
0: to bourbon. Now yeah, I want to get back to that. So when you were in college, mm-hmm. you know, college and, buddies are
1: going out, and, and like anything, I drank some awful things. Yeah. in college, awful things.
0: Because it's really about the wallet, there, isn't it? It's not so
1: much about the quality of the liquor. Yeah, so it was so it was all about <laughs> you know the college bars, happy hour, you know, you know two dollar beers night, whatever you can do to save some money and get you know just get some, you know, I guess some good drinks in you, know, but. The first uh, bourbon I had that I was introduced to was uh, Wild Turkey 101. Yeah. So uh, that's kind of the, it seems to be the ubiquitous bourbon that everybody gets into first or tries in college, both fortunately and also both unfortunately. Because I think it puts a stigma on Wild Turkey 101 a little bit, but at the same time,
0: it kind of becomes a good introduction. Sure. Sure. So we won't talk about years here, but we're definitely talking about pre-2010. Correct, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, yeah, so you know the the wild turkey brand has mm-hmm. gone through some transitions over the years. They've, absolutely they've gone some through some changes in uh, in barrel entry proof that has caused a flavor profile shift, right? Absolutely. So you were a part of that earlier flavor profile mm-hmm. and you know, um, you, i was I was
1: a I first started mixing it with Coke, like most people do. Uh, and then it then it kind of dawned on me. Um, I had a friend of mine who was probably one of the reasons why that got I got into bourbon. Yeah, who started drinking it on the rocks. So I started doing that just because of him. He was you know good friend of mine, and we started drinking. And I did notice all these very very extreme sweet flavors coming out of it. Now for me, bourbon in the beginning was very harsh. It kind of comes in like gasoline. That's why I would always mix it with Coke. As I started putting rocks in it and, and opening up the the bourbon a little bit, I just recognized all the, I'm like, how did this get so sweet? Did you put anything? in? I literally asked him, did you put anything in here? Is this mixed in anything? He's like, no, it's just on the rocks. And then that's when kind of my eyes lit up a little bit. Right. So after that happened, uh, a few years went by. I wasn't drinking. I was still having some Wild Turkey 101 here and there, trying a couple different uh, Jim Beam products, stuff like that kind of broadening my horizons a little bit uh, until probably maybe five, six years after college, I got introduced to a Booker's bourbon at a bar. Luckily, the bartender was a bourbon enthusiast already way before the boom happened. And he's like, oh, you you like trying different bourbons? I said, yeah, absolutely. He goes, well, you should try this one. So he pours me a glass of Booker's and I wish I knew what batch it was. I was going to
0: ask you. Oh, I wish
1: I knew. I just didn't know enough back then the to Booker was ask. involved, right? Yeah, Booker was involved. And I didn't know enough batch, back then about Booker's yeah. to even realize what batch it could be. So he slid me the glass and I tasted it. I mean, mind blown. Yeah. Like, what is this? Like, I just couldn't. The flavor, the intensity, the proof, the finish. Everything about it just lit up my senses. So is that what they call a gateway bourbon? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. If, I don't know. If Booker's is a gateway bourbon,
0: but for me it was. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. You know, a gateway bourbon is the one that sort of opens your eyes, right? The yeah. one that says, "Oh my gosh, what what have I been missing?" Yeah, I feel like everybody has that aha moment with bourbon, where yeah. you just you, you try that
1: one pour that just makes you want to keep trying more. Yeah. And for me, it was a, a neat pour of Booker's, wow. and yeah, I'll never forget it. And uh, my friend, who was with me at the same time, he he was like, I- "I've never tasted anything like this. was crazy." And then after that, just the light bulb went on, mm-hmm. and that's when the whole ex- the whole journey
0: started off. Now you and I, you and I both drink our bourbon neat. We like to like to have it neat in a Glencairn. Yep. Uh, but I have had bourbon and cokes. I've had bourbon and diet cokes. I've had bourbon and Ale Eight One. Yeah. Uh, you know a number of things, and I think it's fine. For me, anyway. Oh, you know, absolutely. I, I'm totally on board with the idea that however you want to drink and enjoy bourbon, drink it the way you like and, it. And a lot of people will say that putting ice in your bourbon will shut it down, will close it down. And it does close the nose down, right? Absolutely. But it opens up the palate a little bit because of that water. It does. Um, the when you, Once you add some ice to it, it definitely closes it up,
1: kind of constricts all the, the aromas in there. So you don't get as much on the nose. But it will open up some different flavors on the palate. And that's that's one of the reasons, you know, some reviewers like I do and some
0: others, they'll add a few drops of water to it, see what happens. Right. And in fact, I think, you know, the the people who are doing tastings inside distilleries, that do it for a job. Mm-hmm. No, they're proofing down about 40 proof. Yeah. Because that really lets them access those flavors without being overwhelmed by the you know, proof of the alcohol.
1: Absolutely. And that's that's a reason why I really like barrel proof uh bourbons and whiskeys a lot too because you could proof it down and find your happy
0: medium. So those of you out there, you know, adding ice to your bourbon, those of you out there having bourbon and cokes or bourbon and L81 or ginger ale, you know, keep doing it because it makes that coconut ginger ale taste so much better. <laughs> that's that's right. <laughs> and I'll say this too, the,
1: the thing about that is if you if you want to pour, if, if me and you were sitting down and having Neat an in a Glen Cairn, somebody else wants to sit down, get in on the fellowship and the conversation of sipping a bourbon, but the way they can do that is by Macy's and Coke. Yeah. I don't mind if you're sitting here having a conversation, enjoying the fellowship of Berman and right. having a good time. Then that's what it's really
0: about. That's right. Absolutely. Well, Jason, let's let's continue on down this path. So you were in New York and then somehow you ended up in Columbus, Ohio. How-
1: yeah. So I moved here for a good job opportunity in marketing. So I did that. I came here. It, and it was, you know, kind of when you move into a new city by yourself, because, you know, my mom, my grandmother, my family is, you know, either back in New York and Florida, they're all still back in New York. They're all, well, my mom, my mother, and my grandmother are back in New York. My uh the rest of my family are kind of scattered everywhere. I'm, most of them are in Florida. Uh, some are in Indiana. I still have family in Italy, too. So they're kind of scattered everywhere. But so moving here was kind of a kind of a scary thing. I hadn't lived anywhere else besides New York
0: my entire life. So coming to Columbus, Ohio was a little bit of a... So what did you think about, before you came, what did you think about Columbus, Ohio? What do you think about Ohio in general? I mean, it's kind of a a New York City guy, you know, Queens.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it was definitely quieter, definitely (laughs) more laid back, not nearly as much traffic. Uh, People seemed to be nicer. (laughs) Uh, But before I moved here, I was kind of going back and forth for... um, uh for job for because I was working remotely in New York for about a year before okay. I wanted to before I decided to move here, and I was just getting bored because I'm kind of a people guy. I like to right. collaborate, and I just wasn't getting that while I was sitting at home. Uh, so uh yeah, the opportunity was given to me to come here, and I had been traveling back and forth monthly and just spending more time in Columbus and kind of acclimating myself until the circumstances were right for me to make the move out here. So, when I finally got here, it was just a matter of time before I kind of got to know the the town, Ohio State football, which yeah. is a religion here. Yeah, that was, it is. That was the first thing I needed to learn about. Apparently, yeah. <laughs> Before yeah. I once I moved here, yeah. My grandmother lived in Columbus, okay, and she
0: yep. she recently passed away, but she was ninety six. She had a good long life, mm-hmm. and the Ohio Uh-oh. State players were her boys. Oh. So whenever I would come up, she would say, "Well, I'm watching my boys." There you go. <laughs> so that's right. So I learned about that real fast uh, coming
1: here, and uh, my my coworkers gave me some Ohio State gear. It's like, if you're going to live here now, you have to. This is yeah. what you have to wear. I'm like, okay, I like red. It's not a big deal. <laughs> so uh, so yeah. So did that, and it took me a couple months to get acclimated here. I was I did get a little lonely, little homesick a little bit, uh, and that's when I started watching whiskey and bourbon channels uh and once i started doing that that's where because i would already been tasting bourbons and and different whiskeys for a few years before that so once i started doing that i kind of found a something i could it's like all right well i'm not making i don't have too many friends here yet you know what can i do So I started going to some local tastings in Columbus. There was a good bourbon community here, good whiskey community. Mostly beer. Very big beer community here as well as a lot of brewers locally. Uh, I started going to some bars and going to some events and trying different bourbons and whiskeys and then then because I kind of lived by myself, I had really nobody here. I started immersing myself in YouTube and uh, history of bourbon, learning about where it comes from. And I kind of immersed myself in the history of bourbon. What
0: were some of the early YouTube, I don't know, say channels, but shows or whatever that kind of inspired you? probably scotch test dummies okay i love those guys scott and bart you yep. know they were
1: one of the first uh chad and sarah bourbon night i watched uh every friday because i thought that's at that time that's when i released their things their videos uh who else uh i did watch uh daniel and rex because they were just very entertaining from daniel and rex or the whiskey vault (laughs) (laughs) right they also have
0: whiskey biscuits right yeah yeah that's kind of
1: about their distillery which is a great you know they're two great guys got to meet them just this past year um yeah those were kind of the ones i i kind of watched a lot coming into uh coming into bourbon there were a few other there were a few other good channels that I that I watched here and there. I was trying to learn a little bit more about Scotch, too, but mainly bourbon. So I was
0: shifting my attention there. Right. So you got the bug. Got the bug. Some, some light turned on in your head, I guess, right? Yeah. It was basically
1: because I became such a bourbon nerd, okay. and I love the history behind it, that not a lot of the channels that I saw really got into the history. They didn't really get into... Who was making it? Where it came from? They would kind of do a quick overview and, and read it from the bottle. Sure. But I really wanted to take a deep dive into, you know, where these distilleries started, where they came about, who George T. Stagg actually was, who uh, Booker actually was, you know, Booker No. What was his philosophy? How did he how does bourbon from the 1980s and 90s why does it taste so different than it does today so i really wanted to do that not a lot of the channels were doing that so i felt like between my uh just kind of my light bulb as you mentioned to go on to not only start a channel uh but i'm like i think this is something
0: i could bring to a youtube channel that'd be a little bit different right so you you're kind of a an amateur historian becoming a professional, a professional histo- bourbon historian, I guess, right? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. You, you're familiar with Michael Veach. so Michael Veach is kind of the 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 uh, de facto bourbon historian. Yes, yes. Um, but yeah, you know, some people gravitate towards that, um, wanting to know more about how things were. Yeah. And uh, I'm one of those guys, too. So I guess that might have been one of the reasons why I was drawn to your channel at some point.
1: Yeah, I just I felt like if I'm going to talk about a whiskey or a bourbon, I want to talk about you know, where it came from, who's making it. And, you know, sometimes obviously the history take Willet, for instance, if I'm reviewing a Willet bottle and I review the rye and then I get into the bourbon, you know, you don't always want to repeat the same historical context every time, but, sure. at the, but I just feel like every time I go back and, and I research just to make sure I'm doing my due diligence, I always find just some nugget that maybe I missed or something else to learn. And I think that's
0: the beauty of the, and the, the beauty of the history of, of bourbon. You decided to start a channel. Mm-hmm. You kind of had this idea in your mind of, you know, what you wanted to do, what your format would be. What kind of a, a task is it to sort of get all the gear and the equipment and set up the space? And I mean, is it a pretty big undertaking? Well, I think if you do it right, if you're
1: thinking of starting a YouTube channel, the one thing you have to do is look at the competition first. Okay. And even though it is a, they call it whiskey tube. So mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of its own community. It's become its own living thing almost. And we all collaborate. And we all, there's a lot of us that collaborate, talk to each other. We're all really good friends. And it's weird because you do it virtually virtually. You see each other online all the time, especially when you collaborate on a live stream or something like that. And then when you meet up in person, it's like you never really—it's like you've always known that person. Wow! So it's kind of—it's a, a really cool community. So what I did though is—is is when you, I was—I was in this weird time where you, we had some new channels popping up, uh, and then I popped up, and then after me, there was a whole nother explosion of channels that came in. What I was noticing at the channels before me is that they had really good, really good audio, really good lighting, really good video, really good sound. And I just said, you know, if I'm going to do this, you have to, you have to come in these days with every, all of that checked off and high quality. Right. You can't really. There's an expectation there. There's an expectation. So you're going to start a, a, a channel. You know, you have to make really compelling content and not only compelling, but it has to look. And listen, I had my challenges. I had a lot of audio challenges in the beginning. Uh, you know, I kind of have this whiskey room that you're sitting in now, and it wasn't really finished. I didn't really have a lot of stuff down in my basement. So it was echoey. So I was battling that and learning how to mitigate all those. I always had a, you know, I had a great ca- a camera. You always, obviously, that's going to be your bread and butter. You got to have a great camera and great audio. So once you do that, it's all about the content.
0: Right. Yeah. So I guess, you know, it's a learning process. You start at some point and then you grow over time. And, you know, I've noticed that you guys kind of uh, you are you do band together a little bit. You do collaborate a lot. Yes. And I guess as a new channel comes in and they introduce themselves, kind of sometimes take them under your wing a little bit, don't you?
1: Yeah, that's a that's something I love to do, especially for newer channels. When a newer channel is starting up, because there's so many there's so many channels now. And I think, you know, Variety is a spice of life, as with bourbon and whiskey. You have so many now. It's kind of good to have that in YouTube and WhiskeyTube nowadays because, like you said, you can gravitate to a certain channel that you like or you dislike. Maybe you feel like that palette that you're watching matches up with yours a little bit. Right. Because you could find that out as you go along. If a channel says, you know, get this whiskey, get this bourbon, and you try like, oh, this is terrible, you kind of lose trust in them. And you move on to somebody else. And you move else. on to someone else. Right. And you could do that more easily nowadays. Uh, and it's not just, you know, it's publications, it's reviewers, it's it's everybody. And but it's not because they're wrong. They're just different, right? Exactly. Yeah. They're just different. You can't, you know, everyone's palate's different. Everyone's palate's going to evolve in a different way. I try to review based on what I'm experiencing when I have the bourbon or the whiskey. It's not so much, yeah, I'm going to tell you if I like it or not, if it's really good. But when i'm literally tasting it and trying to analyze it i try to give you the best the best anal- analysis for experiences as i can what it's going to do the front of your palette what to expect mid palette and then the finish and then after all that's over i kind of give a overview of if, if do i think it's worth it or if it's good or not what it's what you're what to expect but
0: i kind of analyze it in a different way i don't just sip it and say if it's good or not i just yeah. i like to really get a deep dive right Speaking of deep dives, I think that's what we want to do in the second half. We want to kind of take a deep dive, talk a little bit about the whiskey room here. Yeah. Kind of, you know, some of the, some of the episodes you've had a little bit about what you got going on this year, things that are coming up. Uh, We'll, we'll go ahead and enjoy the rest of this, Willet. And when we come back from our break, I think you've got a bottle for us, don't you? I got something a little special for you, buddy. I'm ready. All right. I'd like to thank Tommy and Gwen Mitchell from Loghead's Home Center for supporting this episode of The Bourbon Road. Loghead's Home Center, nestled in the hills of Kentucky, is an industry leader in building handcrafted rustic furniture. Family owned and operated, they take pride in offering only the very best for their customers. The Logheads, and that's what they like to call themselves, are skilled woodcrafters who are passionate about creating rustic furniture for people who appreciate the beauty of natural wood. Give Tommy and Gwen a shout on Facebook or Instagram at Logheads Home Center. All right, we were back and uh and you know as we took our break there, we finished off that will That was pretty special, wasn't it?
1: Oh, that was I you know, I mean if that thing wasn't Halfway finished, I'd drink more, but I feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> you, might, you might talk me into leaving you a sample of it. Yeah, that stuff is that—that's special stuff. That's really good. And for six years, it's so flavorful. It's amazing.
0: Well, let's talk a little bit about this room we're in. So, this is your studio. Mm-hmm. This is where you shoot every video that you have. Correct. At least the ones that are local. You do go out on the road from time to time. I do. Yes, but uh, mm-hmm. this is called the the Mash and Drum Whiskey Room, mm-hmm. and uh, it's been a labor of love, right? It really has. Uh, it was my Goal. As
1: soon as I moved in here to build a whiskey room, little did I know I was going to become a studio. But once once the pieces started coming together, uh, I wanted to call it Mash and Drum just because I I am a drummer as okay. well. I do I've been playing drums for a very long time, so music is a big part of my life and growing up and I wanted to incorporate something both with music and something with uh, whiskey. So the mash for uh, bourbon mash and then the drum. I just thought I've always seen a lot of bars, Irish bars called pipe and drum or fife and drum or something like that. I'm like, I'll do mash and drum. That'd be kind of cool. I also wanted something different that would stand out on YouTube because everything has bourbon in it or whiskey in it so i thought the matching drum was kind of unique
0: yeah i think i think it's important to stand out and do your own thing mm-hmm. i think you've definitely done that uh, but in this room here i mean i i don't know how many bottles are here uh, we'll, we'll certainly put some pictures out on the blog yeah but um i mean there's a lot of bottles in this room jason
1: yeah it's 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 a, it's a problem. It's so not so a, much a space problem as it is a buying problem. <laughs> it is. So you're kind of addicted to the sport. Uh, I, You know, honestly, I have really toned down my buying in okay. the last year or so. When I first started, I would buy everything. I couldn't stop because yeah. it was, you know, you start getting into something and you just go full bore your heads down. You're not looking at anything else except I just have to acquire as many bottles as I can because I want to try it all. And then it becomes a collection thing you want to own, and a lot
0: of people are like that in the bourbon, the bourbon world, right? So I've kind of gone through the same mm-hmm. transition. Yep, uh, for me. I think it's not so much about the money as it is about the realization that there's a lot of really great bourbons that don't have to be chased. Correct. So, uh, for what was your reasons? Same or
1: same? And I felt like the the market for me has been, even though there's a there's tremendous growth in the in the bourbon market, and I think the secret's out. From a consumer perspective, uh, especially from well, I should say from a from a marketer's perspective, yeah, the secret's out. They know that if they, with so many barrels aging now and so much great whiskey out there, they know that they can bottle something six, seven, eight, nine, ten years old, put a limited edition sticker on it, you know, put it in a special bottle, and it's going to sell, right? And I think with that comes some, uh, and I think in twenty nineteen when I looked back on the year and saw how many limited editions came out, how many special releases, not only from the big boys, like beam and four roses and yeah. have usual Buffalo trace, but even from the craft distilleries coming out with special releases on top of their, just their regular releases, you kind of start figuring out that there's some great whiskeys just sitting on the shelf that has been overshadowed by this boom for so long. It's kind of, kind of good. It's almost a wake up call to go back and, start tasting and start exploring those bourbons
0: again that we've forgotten about that are just sitting there on the shelf. So let's, let's talk a little bit about that because, you know, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of listeners out there who are just getting into this bourbon journey. Mm -hmm. They're just getting into this, uh, this world that we live in and they're like, well, what do I have to do to enjoy a good bourbon and not spend a fortune? Now you just recently launched a new series on your show. Correct. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. It's called What's
1: on the Shelf Wednesday. So every Wednesday, I'll be reviewing a bourbon or whiskey. And this is going to range between bourbon, rye, whiskey, scotch, Irish whiskey. Uh, It's going to kind of go through a whole range of just stuff that's on the shelf. Now, obviously, everyone's market is a little bit different where they live. So I'm trying to pick out different bottles that I know universally. When you walk into a store, you're going to find them. They're going to so be there. When you
0: say universally, you mean all 50 states as or at m- least as many as, as possible? At least as many as possible. Okay. Uh, so, you know, so you have your Woodford Reserves
1: of the world and a lot of stuff from Old Forrester. There's a ton of Irish whiskeys and scotches. You can just walk in and find the so show. How many episodes of this new series have you had so far? Just just uh, two Okay. well, no, I'm sorry. I filmed two, but I've only released one. Okay. so tell us about the one you've released. So the one I released was for Old Granddad Bonded. Okay. now there's a ton of bottle and bonds that have released in the last few years. And Old Granddad Bonded has been always a stalwart on the shelf. Right. And I did include it in a series I did last year, my March Madness, where I did a bunch of bourbons that were between 25 and 30 bucks. And that was in that shootout. And then when I went back to that, I realized, wow, that I'd never really, I forgot about that bourbon because there's so many good bottle and bonds out there and new release bottle and bonds that you, you kind of forget about that one. So I was going to the store and I was just kind of taking a gander at the, uh, the shelves and it just kind of dawned on me like, wow, I haven't had that in a while. I haven't had that in a while. I, I remember that I haven't, have I had that in a long time? And I'm like, you know, I need to just focus on a series of bourbons and whiskeys that people could just go in and because I love, you know, nobody loves finding a unicorn and reviewing it and getting it out there more than, you know, reviewers do, especially me. But yeah, you always have to remember for the for the new or the even the seasoned bourbon drinker. Some of those are really hard to find there.
0: So even if you have the
1: funds, sometimes that doesn't matter. You just can't find it. You just can't get one. Right. Or sometimes they're allocated for people that either have better relationships with stores or. They'll maybe only get one or two bottles and they'll go to someone else that's ahead of you. Now we have the point systems that come into play. So there's a lot of factors now with getting those hard to find allocated bottles. But I think there are so many great and you said it. There's so many great bottles just sitting on the shelf. I think that deserves a little bit more
0: of a spotlight again. Well, I'm going to segue, but it, it doesn't segue into a bottle that. Kind of, it's available on the shelves. <laughs> <laughs> You've brought something for us for the second pour, and I didn't want to waste too much time getting to the second bourbon because they're all waiting to hear about it. Yes. So uh, what have you brought for the second pour, Jason? So this is the Elmer T. Lee 100th Tribute. The 100-year tribute. Now, Elmer T. Lee <laughs> in itself is a is a fine bourbon from Buffalo Trace. It is. It's a, it, at its core. Mm-hmm.
1: It's about a $40 bourbon, single barrel from Buffalo Trace. It's their... Mashville Two, which is considered their high rye bourbon. Now, Elmer, whoever doesn't know what Elmer T. Lee was, his middle name was actually Tandy. That's what the T stands for. So, it's Elmer Tandy Lee. He was born in 1919. So, as a tribute to him, Buffalo Trace released this special release in 2019 to celebrate his 100 years of life.
0: Okay. But Elmer, Elmer passed away some time ago. Elmer passed away,
1: but he was the creator of... The Blantons that we know and love today. Right. He was the one that, that created that. He created the single barrel. A lot of people say that that Beam did it before they did it. There's all that back and forth when you go yeah. back historically. But I think Elmer Teeley kind of gets the uh he kind of gets the 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 fanfare for that a little but bit. But
0: that was kind of that period in the eighties wow. when the the real master distillers, master distillers were were trying to recover the business from almost a Almost a crash that occurred in the seventies, right? Correct. Everyone was drinking vodkas, and they didn't want to drink bourbon.
1: They they wanted to drink vodkas and something different than their parents and their grandparents were drinking. So that's when vodka took off, and that's when you saw the uh, wine coolers took off, oh, and yeah. kind of the sweeter the sweeter things took off. But there was a market for people who wanted more. I guess, special or limited release. And, and once they figure that out, there was a market for it. Uh, then small batch started uh, Then Booker's, you know, Booker. No, then he then he said, I don't want to do single barrel because it could be too this could be too much variation between barrel to barrel. So let's do I want to do small batch and it just became a different way to market their bourbon and to get specialized uh, specialized spirits out to the markets from the from a bourbon perspective. And I think that's it. really what kind of saved the bourbon
0: industry sure. in, in its own way. So now Elmer T. Lee in itself, the, the, the normal release of Elmer T. Lee mm-hmm. is kind of hard to find. You yes. said it's about a $40 bottle retail, but retail. if you were to find it in a store now, it's going to have a price tag of probably anywhere from 100 to, I've seen it as high as 200 in okay. some spots, unfortunately. And that's probably too much of a price for me to pay for a bottle of that. I think so. Uh, but... I definitely think it's worth a pour to bar uh, at an elevated price if you can't afford the bottle. But this, what you've brought today, is is a little something special.
1: Yeah. So this, so normally Elmer T Lee is bottled at ninety proof. Okay. So ninety proof Mashable two bourbon. This for the for this release, this hundred year tribute celebration bottle, they decided to bottle this at hundred proof to kind of coincide with the hundred years. Yeah. So, it's uh a, it's 100 a proof. It's got a little bit more flavor to it, a little bit more heft on the palate. It's also uh I think I think you get a little bit more spice on here too from that higher rye mash bill from the uh
0: mash pill too. Okay. So, you don't want to go for the Let's nose here. Check it out. Yeah. Well, it's got a little bit of fruit on that nose, doesn't it? Absolutely. Now, is this a little bit older you think than the traditional release?
1: I think so. I also think it was you know, these were obviously probably specially selected barrels. They probably picked some real honey barrels for this release. Sure. So I, and I think you called it spot on. There is a a very very strong, I say I always say juicy fruit gum. It smells like yeah, juicy
0: fruit, juicy fruit. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, you're right on. Now, I you've you've been sipping on this bottle a little bit. I can see it's down a little bit. This is the first bit, time I've had the opportunity. Bit, yeah. This is a real treat for me. Thank you, Jason.
1: No, absolutely. This is what it's about. I didn't get this bottle to look at as much as
0: I do like to look at it, but it's all about sharing and, you know. Yeah, that is, oh my gosh. I, I see. I'm not sure I could have called out Juicy Fruit. I would have been searching for that and searching for that, yeah, but that's exactly what it is. It's Juicy
1: Fruit gum. Wow. There's a little bit more maple syrup in here, too, than I get from a regular Elmer as well. All right, let's
0: taste it. Cheers. Let's go for it. Oh, that is a fantastic bourbon, isn't it? That is really good. It is. That is Elmer T. Lee amped up. Mm-hmm. And you know what? A little bit of that juicy fruit makes it to the palate just on the back. It's kind of amazing. That's different than anything I've ever had. Mm-hmm. I still think you get the,
1: in the buffalo trace to me. I always get this beautiful toasted pecan flavor. And I get that in here on the back end once you pass the all the fruit characteristics, and you get this slight little nuttiness right on the back end, but it's so intense and so sweet. I absolutely love it.
0: Yeah, this is a bottle to cherish, no doubt. Mm-hmm. So I hope this I hope this lasts you a long time. You visit it on rare occasions.
1: Rare occasions. Uh, I'll definitely take this bourbon out for people who have never uh, who who want to try something special and also anyone when family comes over, these are the types of bourbons I like to, to share yeah. and, and celebrate with. Well, Buffalo trace hit it on the nose with this one. No doubt about it. This is a Buffalo trace release. I can get behind this. I really, I really love this bourbon. I think it take. I wish that the regular Elmer Lee was this good, yeah. honestly, but I think they, they really
0: picked some special uh, barrels with this one. So do you think there, there's a day coming when bourbons of this caliber Are readily available like really readily available i hope so because right now they're just out of touch they're out of reach you just can't get to them or if you can it's it's occasionally uh, and uh, because you have relationships with stores and things like that correct and i feel like for me that's the best way to get harder to
1: find bottles is building those relationships and Uh, you know, talking to your store owners and even sharing some pours with them. If you can get the chance to do that, that's, it's kind of a good way to, for them, if not only to get a, not only to get a chance to buy a bottle, but even to just for them to tell you, Hey, we got this coming in, you know, keep an eye out. There's, there's good ways to do that. But to go back to your earlier question, I think the reason why it's, I think there's, there, there could be a trade off there because we have so many limited releases that are out of touch it's because of the 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 bourbon boom now and the whiskey boom in general if the whiskey boom and the bourbon boom goes away do do we keep seeing these limited releases all the time or are they going to they're going to kind of hedge back their releases to try to keep making the money that on their regular releases because it's not as popular now i think i think as we go along i'm very curious and i'm keeping a close eye you know i'm kind of a nerd about this stuff i'm really keeping a close eye to see how the uh, how the behaviors of, of buyers and consumers are becoming. Do we right. do we still want to wait out online to try to get a bottle of bourbon? Is that going to die off anytime soon? Is there a next big thing coming?
0: Is it rum? Is it Armagnac? Is it something else? Right. So, yeah, Armagnac, it, you, you mentioned that. Mm-hmm. Armagnac is something that I think people don't go for because of that, that price difference. It's a little more expensive, right? Absolutely. Right. But there's a lot of people that really appreciate Armagnac, and it could be the next big thing. Mm-hmm. Who knows? But the price is a little bit out of reach. But as bourbon prices grow, it sort of opens that door. Yeah, and another thing you have to factor in, too, as we go along this year,
1: are, are the tariffs on scotches. Mm-hmm. Now, scotches is, is another category that I've gotten a... <clears throat> to to get better at and learn and taste. And there are some scotches that are absolutely amazing, delicious that I find.
0: Because you're the mash and drum whiskey room. You're not the mash and drum bourbon room. Exactly. So
1: you're, you're drinking scotches as well. Just Irish whiskies Yeah. So I'm, I'm trying. I'm bourbon focused, but everything else curious. Yeah. So, and I think that's a part of my channel that I really like to put forth is, you know, I, I'm still kind of on my scotch journey. There's a lot I haven't tried, but I have found that I do like some of the peated stuff and I kind of, I ended up liking that way more in the beginning than I thought I would. Mm -hmm. I I just think it's a little bit more complex than just a regular bourbon aged scotch. I think it has more complexity, more depth. Um, But with the tariffs now on scotches and some of the scotch prices going up 20, 25 percent, well, those people turn to bourbon now because there's more affordable options in right. bourbon. I'm just curious how that's going to play out, too. I mean, it's kind of the
0: idea, right? Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. kind of the the goal of it all, I guess. Absolutely. Is that it turns people towards local products yep. or national products. Yeah, but, and with over 1,800 craft distilleries now across the country, it's
1: right.
0: there's plenty of whiskey to be had. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about how your show has um, changed since the beginning, mm-hmm. kind of some of the things you've learned, uh, how you've kind of tailored the show to your listenership. Can you... Kind of go into that a little bit. Yeah. In the beginning, uh,
1: I think one big thing I learned is not to review a whiskey from a neck pour. Okay. Because I would go back to, I found out that when I would go back to certain whiskeys that I did not like when I reviewed it, once it opened up and got some air, I added a couple drops of water to it. It really got a lot
0: better over time. So let's let's back up for a minute here. We might have some use listeners out there. Who sure, they don't know what a neck pour is. Can can you kind of tell us? You know, what's a neck pour? So that's basically
1: doing a review from just opening the bottle right there on screen and pouring it. So the liquid that's actually in the neck when you first open it is that's basically what's in your glass, right? Once the liquid gets down past the shoulder of the bottle and out of the neck, that's when some air gets to go into the bottle and it starts changing up the flavors a little bit in the whiskey. It's it's the same idea as when you let, let a bourbon just sit in your glass. Okay. Whether it be water, whether it be air, some of those factors are going to affect the flavors a little bit, especially air, uh, because you get some more air into that whiskey. It opens up some more flavors and things come out. And I think just trying a whiskey that's just stuck in the neck, things are a little (laughs) bit more condensed in there. Once it gets down past the shoulder, that's when you start to learn and get to know a whiskey a so little you bit did more some
0: early reviews yes. and maybe you feel like you might not have been as accurate as you could have been correct and when you revisited that whiskey you're like oh wait a minute apologies
1: yeah <laughs> basically so i i kind of changed up my format and then i started whenever i got a new bourbon i would sit and spend a couple days with it get to know it get to love it get to you know just kind of spend a lot of time with it like a good roommate you just want to check it out and see if everything goes good and uh see how those flavors evolve over time, see how those flavors, uh, become, do they, do they stay consistent? Do they die out a little bit? So, and then I felt like when I got to know that bottle enough, Mm. then I was going to review it. Uh, there are some exceptions because you want to, sometimes there are bottles that I'll be honest. There are some bottles you just want to get out on YouTube before anybody else does. Sure. So that you get that
0: first look. You want to get yeah. that first look out
1: there. Yeah. I you can wanna, understand that. Yeah. So for me, last year was the four rows of small batch select. When that came out, um I had a good friend help me get that bottle for yeah. me and get it quickly so I can get it out. Cause that was one of the ones I was really looking forward to. Uh ended up being one of my favorite bourbons of the year. You know, sixty dollar bottle, non-chill filtered, a hundred and three proof. Delicious stuff from far over. It's
0: still and still largely undiscovered, I think. Yeah. I just don't think it's available enough everywhere. Is that too what much it is? just yet, I think. Because you know, I've gone into some stores, particularly one of the stores we know, yeah. the liquor outlet mm-hmm. in Kentucky there yep. in Louisville area. Um, you know, they've got cases and cases sitting out on the floor and they're having trouble moving to get it at fifty-four dollars. So what's what's the story there? Uh, uh local uh, market? Yeah, well, it's, I think it's either a local market or it's either Oversaturation, yeah it could be over because they made a lot of that bourbon exactly yeah
1: i mean look at the look at the look at the selection that there is today yeah there's a lot of great bourbons a lot of great whiskey out there and some it's more affordable than others and you know whereas like you and i we try a bunch of different bourbons and we may have our flavor profiles and you know let's be honest sometimes our profiles are a little bit in the upper tiers of pricing that people will spend but I gotta tell you, going into a store, even here in Ohio, I'll be waiting online to try to get that allocated bottle of something. There's at least four or five people that just walk in and they buy a 1.75 of, Jim Beam white label, take it right off the shelf and they're out the door and they're happy and they're happy. And I'm like, man, I wish I could be as happy as that guy right now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I guess it's, you know, that's kind of true. So we walk into a store here. We might, well, not here. I'm in Columbus now, but in Louisville, if we were to walk into a store and see 20 cases of four rows of small batch select sitting there at $45 or $55. It's the same thing as somebody out in Texas saying, we got welder coming out of our ears. That's or right. somebody else saying, Eagle Rare's everywhere here. Why can't you get it where you're at? Exactly. It's kind of a regional thing. It is. It is regional. And
1: you notice that uh, even when I travel back to New York and you know, I go back home. So, you know, some of the... I've made some really good relationships with a couple stores there. They help me get bottles. And some of the selections that they have are completely different just based on location. So, it's really... You kind of
0: have to play to your market. Wow. This Elmer T is just amazing jason it's so good thank you so much for turning me on to this and
1: it's so velvety
0: too yeah, i think is. than the regular one it really has a yeah. great mouthfeel to silky, it silky but it's velvety it's, sure. yeah, velvety
1: Absolutely. silky yep yep
0: okay so we've got we have talked a little bit about your your new series about uh, readily available bourbons but you've done some um some visits to distilleries where you've interviewed some people. Can you talk a little bit about some of the interviews you've had? Yeah, those were so much fun. I,
1: I that's kind of the, something I want to focus on for this year. Uh, some more. I have a series called Off the Still, where I get to sit down with some master distillers and some of the people who create the bourbon and really get nerdy with them a little bit. Right, uh, Elizabeth McCall from Woodford Reserve, who was amazing. Uh, also Caleb Kilburn from Peerless. And uh, Charlie and Andy Nelson from Greenbrier Distilling—you may know them as the company that creates Bell Mead Bourbon. Right,
0: exactly. Yeah, we we had a little Bell Mead tonight, did yes, we? Before we did. the show, their special brandy cask, which is dessert in a glass. Oh my goodness! <laughs> so uh, just just a heads up, people out there, if you can get your now, what's this one called? It's the Bell Mead uh, brandy. Bellmead brandy. Brandy cask. Absolutely delicious. Yeah, and a, those those
1: barrels were. Uh, they were curated and from
0: uh, from World War II. So they they these are old barrels. So these are barrels that are sixty to eighty years old. Correct. And then they've rehydrated them and then put bourbon into them. Correct. Rehydrating so they'll not leak. Exactly. And then put bourbon in them to yeah. Yep. Now that's not a bourbon that you're going to drink. It's not a daily drinker kind of bourbon. This is something, it's a dessert.
1: No, that was definitely a dessert bourbon. Yeah. Because it was, it's very fruity. It's very rich. We were, we were saying uh, Fig Newtons and grapes and yeah. a little, a little hint of chocolate there, but it's very, very rich and sweet. So. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's a kind of great big leek two meets Red Man. Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but not in a bad way. No, not in a, not not a very bad way at good all. Way. Very good way. Very good way. I way. think
1: meat has kind of mastered the, uh the art of blending they have their sherry, their cognac,
0: their Madeira, they do their brandy cast, they they do a lot of great things. So who's in your who's in your headlights, Jason? All these new distilleries that are popping up, some of them kind of rise up above the the others a little bit. Who's yeah. in your headlights? For me,
1: uh Wilderness Trail. Yep. Uh who have you've talked to you've talked to uh Patrick um i i just i love what they're doing i think they're brilliant just talking to them just hearing their interviews they they are on that same pathway as i am with uh, completely being a nerd about whiskey yeah, and they are going through everything from yeast strains to uh cleaning techniques to sweet mashing to everything aging
0: low entry proof I want to get immersed in all kind that. They're doing everything right. They are. They're doing yeah. everything right. And, you know, they're not just making a little bit of whiskey. They're producing in excess of 220 barrels a day. Yeah, which is insane, you think, for huge. a... Yeah. So, I don't think it's <clears> fair <throat> to call them an artisan or craft distillery.
1: No, I think at the... That's actually funny that you brought that up. That's a discussion I was having. When does a craft
0: distillery cease becoming a craft distillery? Yeah. Well, if you ask Michael... Michael Veach Mm -hmm. he kind of says they're all craft distilleries okay you know he he likes to call them artisan distilleries the smaller guys the new the new up-and-comers uh but Shane and Pat they're they're a major player now they're making a lot of juice they're building rickhouses they're absolutely
1: and I think the quality that you see in there uh I mean think about their first release it was a bottled and bond weeded bourbon single barrel yeah for that to be your first
0: release, that's pretty bold. And they hit it out of the park, I think. I think it's great stuff. And news release, if anybody doesn't know, their Weeded Bourbon reaches is six years old this year. So they're releasing a six-year version.
1: Yeah, which I think even their four-year-old stuff I thought was pretty good. Right. So as their stuff gets older... uh I think it's going to be unbelievable stuff. I mean, I've even had some of their barrel picks that are still that are just about that five-year-old range. There's a huge difference in flavor profile, how much better it got. Uh, yeah, so Wilderness Trail is up there for me. I would love to talk to Jackie Zykin from Old Forester. Yeah. She's amazing. And I think Old Forester. we talked about it. Old Forrester just knocking it out of the park right now with everything they're doing. They're they are giving the consumer everything they want. Yeah,
0: You know, I think they've got an open ear to the market. Yeah. And they're listening because, you know, there's a lot of ways to say it, knocking it out of the park, firing on all cylinders, Mm -hmm. whatever you want to say, you know, between Campbell Brown and Jackie Zaykin, those guys are really in tune with what people want and they're changing their expressions and introducing expressions to match that. Absolutely. I mean, the the rye was my value uh,
1: whiskey of the year Mm -hmm. last year because not only is it a great value, it's. Available, it's high quality. It's got a unique mash bill to it, right? It's it's higher uh, barley than it is corn. Mm-hmm. Besides the the dominant rye grain. works great in both bourbon and rye cocktails. You know, traditional rye and bourbon cocktails. You could use that in anything. Yeah, approachable mean, price. It's an approachable price. It's it just, I mean, it's an amazing whiskey. And right. now, what do they do? They they flip the uh, they flip their single barrels on its head by yeah. now offering a barrel proof, a hundred proof for varietals. I mean. It's, it's what the market wants. It's amazing yeah. stuff.
0: You know, no, Ma- Mike and I chose the 1910 as our bourbon of the year. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people might say that the 1910s. Eh, it's not the best bourbon out there, but you have to remember who Mike and I are. You know, I'm Mr. Spicy and he's Mr. Wheat, so <laughs> we had to agree on something. If you think about it, 1910s kind of right now. Can, can you please change your podcast name to Mr. Spicy <laughs> and Mr. Wheat? <laughs> <laughs> well, Jason, what what can we expect from you this year? What do you got on? What do you got in the works? What are you thinking? What's coming up? You know, um, you know what can people expect from? the mash and drum whiskey room?
1: Uh, Well, definitely more great uh in in-depth reviews. That's always going to be my bread and butter. I want to do, I want to connect with my viewers a little bit more this year. Thinking about doing a couple of meetups. Uh, I want to connect with more master distillers this year. I, I think for me as a reviewer, as much as I love doing the videos, I, I want to become a little bit more um, of a, of a figure, especially in Louisville, Lexington, and Kentucky in general. I want to be kind of closer to the action and get to know some of the distillers and and just be kind of more, I don't, I don't know how to say the word here, uh, not more of a spotlight. It's not like I'm looking for a spotlight. Mm-hmm. But I want to be closer and, and talk to and talk to the creators of the bourbon more. And you want to be plugged in. I do. I want to be plugged in more to that entire industry and, and learn as much
0: as I can. All right. Well, you know, you've got a place to stay when you're down there. I, and I appreciate that. Yeah. Yes. So, uh, Jason, why don't you take a minute? We need to kind of wrap up now. But as we drink this Elmer tea, uh, why don't you take a minute and tell everybody how they can uh, how they can reach you out in social media, on your YouTube channel, uh, whatever else you have going on. Uh, Sure. Yeah. If
1: anybody is on YouTube, uh, just look up the mash and drum. You could probably find it just by searching those terms, the mash and drum. You could. You don't have to type the mash and drum whiskey room. The only mash and drum on there. But look up the mash and drum. Definitely give me a subscribe. I put out about two to three videos a week. Uh, Basically reviews. I have my what's on the shelf Wednesdays coming up. I also have a series called Double Bass. Which is kind of a term for uh, a drumming term for two bass pedals, where I literally put two uh, whiskeys head to head. Love that, yeah. yeah. So, so one I have coming up will be John J. Bowman. Out of John J. Bowman's single barrel out of Virginia against Blanton's. So that'll be an interesting matchup. Since they're both Buffalo Trace Since Juice. Since they're both supposedly Buffalo Trace Juice. yeah. But okay. there's an interesting history of that, but you have to watch to find out the history. All right. Uh, so I have that uh, series coming up. Also definitely look for my Off the Still episodes as I hopefully get some more interviews. Uh, Mictors is another one I want to talk to as well. I love what they're doing. Um, you can find me on Instagram at the underscore mash underscore and underscore
0: drum. And on Twitter at the Mash and D. All right. Well, Jason, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. It's always fun to hang out with you. We've been doing it a while. Finally got you on the show again. I think the last time we did this, we had a big group and we had a quite a fest.
1: Yeah, that was a <laughs> that was a hell of a night of,
0: of drinking. <clears throat>
1: But I, I do
0: remember uh, nailing the winner, so I was happy about that. You did. All right. <laughs> well, folks, if uh, if you want to follow the Bourbon Road on social media, we are at the Bourbon Road. Um, you can find us on all those social medias at that at that name. Uh, we also have a closed Facebook group called The Bourbon Roadies. And uh, in order to join, just come to our Facebook page. Ask to join our group. Uh, three simple questions. We just want to make sure you're 21 and you like bourbon. And you can come on in and hang out with us. Uh, there's a lot of good conversation there. We're trying to build a community and we're having a lot of fun doing it. So, Jason, again, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so and, much for uh, having me. And we'll see you down the bourbon road. Absolutely.